And we are here, another episode recording of the Square and Compass podcast, this time with Secretary of Ezekiel Bates Lodge from Massachusetts, Brian Simmons. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, this is a, for everybody watching, this is a unique episode of the podcast just because uh, it falls on, well, we're recording this uh, on Monday, May the 4th, for all you Star Wars fans, but... This is um, published on YouTube on Mother's Day, May the uh, May the 9th. So if you stick around to the end of this video, uh, I include some clips from my interview with, well, I was interviewing my dad about his Masonic journey, but of course I had to talk to my mom uh, about her life and that poor woman having a, a father, a husband, a son, and a father-in-law all as Masons can't have been easy. So... You can see what she had to say. I included some clips from that end of this video. And um, also, I'm happy to say that uh, a couple of days ago now, I got my vaccine. And I have a quick video about that at the end of this, just getting, waiting to get the vaccine and getting it, um, which I think all Masons should be doing. Not that I speak for any Grand Lodge, but that's just my opinion. And with, so stick around for those interesting clips at the end of this. And with that, uh, Brother Simmons, thank you so much again for being here. Thanks again. So we, um, we came into contact through Masonicon 2020, uh, open bracket-ish, closed bracket. Because <laughs> obviously uh, we were in 2021 and for obvious reasons, you know, the Masonicon was delayed, but uh, it was still put on with both the in-person and virtual components, which was terrific. I had a great time there during the day, um, or for the whole day, basically, right? Uh, you know, I really enjoyed, I was really impressed with the, with the setup and the way that you combined the in-person with the virtual, in the sense that even though I was watching it on my phone, right? I felt like I was in the audience there because of the way it was set up. Um, so talk a bit about Masonicon uh, in general, you know, Masonicon the 2020 version uh, and, and just how you went about setting it up and scheduling it in not the greatest circumstances. Sure. Um, I guess we should start with the first one, really. Um, so. I don't know how it is is where you are, but we have several appendant bodies and they always want to like come in on a meeting night and give a presentation about their body and why you should join it, stuff like that. Um, but our membership wasn't like, eh, you know, it's like a meeting night and we usually have speakers and that wasn't a topic that they were keen on doing. So, we came up with the idea and said, well, what if we just did like a Comic-Con and let all the vendors come in at once and just set up tables and then we can have speakers and, you know, food and just make like a, essentially a Comic-Con. Um, so that, that's kind of where the original idea went and then it evolved more towards, you know, bringing in national speakers and stuff of that nature. And it also like, bubbled up on Sunday and Friday night and 
So that, that's kind of how it started out. Uh, we have a large building, so it's like 29,000 square feet. So we're able to have about 40, 45 vendors in the building. Um, so we had all the bodies and so that was good. Um, and then we were rolling along and the pandemic hit. <laughs> so year, let's see, this would have been the fourth one that we just did. Um, we pushed it to August from May of 2020 and then pushed it again to May of 21. And then we were finally like, listen, we got to do this. Like, you know, we, we outlaid a considerable amount of money to try to make it work. Um, we had to remove the open door policy, the vendor portion, and we just stuck with just the speakers and then the people that bought the full package tickets so they could spend the whole day there. Um, which was nice. And luckily everyone was vaccinated except for a couple people. But so we had no fear of, of COVID at the time. Now, when you talk about, because this is a, a really interesting point, um, you know, the, the normal way, I think, for most Masonic lodges, including, uh, you know, my jurisdiction, Ontario, um, is, yeah, is to kind of bring appended bodies or just even groups in general who may have some information that could be a benefit to bring them in kind of one at a time. Um, uh, having them all show up at the same time and place, uh, right? It's, it's easy to see kind of some of the benefits to be cracked into the membership because you have a chance. It's not just, um, groups talking to Masons, that these groups can talk to each other and these dependent bodies can talk to each other and network and grow. Um, because, you know, there's certainly, I think, things that, you know, Scottish Rite can learn from, you know, the York Rite and York Rite can learn from Scottish Rite. And, you know, I think, yeah, the ability to network and be together in one place at the same time is going to be a benefit to the craft. Oh, absolutely. Um... And we saw that. And then, you know, when you have so many things drawing people to one spot, we were getting, you know, I think the last year we did a full one in 2019, we peaked over 400 people coming through the building. I mean, that's an incredible amount of people and we don't have to do anything. You know, you're an appendant body. Here's your six foot table. You know, it's on us. We didn't charge the appendant bodies and just, you know, promote yourself the best way you think you can. And, and yeah, and, and the, the promotion, uh, I had, you know, pr promoting itself. I like that. I like that idea. I think, you know, the idea of promotion, it's, it's always one of those tricky Masonic subjects, right? Cause there's, um, obviously there's improper solicitation is the term that's often used, but the general kind of idea of, we have these things to offer, um, or we have this information, or we have something that can be a benefit to your lodge or to you and your Masonic career, you know, the, the more of that, to my mind, the better, you know? Yeah, so we would just swing open the doors and, you know, to come in, it was five bucks, right? And that was to help offset things. But, you know, your three, 400 people in mind, your five bucks is enough to cover everything. So who cares? Um, but yeah, we, we had it. So we had 
degrees one year where we have a grotto, we have a, a tall cedars and they did a degree at the end of the day. Um, so people could sign up and join right there, you know, which was kind of nice. And I, I want to say the first year we had 25 in each or something. Um, so that's huge because they don't have a big outreach. There's only one of each really, you know, so. Yeah. And did you, uh, uh, did you find that, um, you know, since your first year and in your first year, you've seen a, an increase in, you know, the national and even international, in my case, interest? Like, are you getting brethren from other parts of America or from Canada um, interested in, uh, interested in MasonicCon? Oh, absolutely. Um, we've actually had quite a few Canadian brothers on there with you the other day. Um, the, maybe the second or third year, uh, Nicholas Lane came out with a group from the Internet Lodge, Castle Island, out in Manitoba. Um, and obviously, as the popularity grew, we expanded further and further where we would get our speakers from. So we tried to have a mix of like deep esoteric talks, but at the same time, we would like to, we tried to mix it up with things that were interesting for anybody. So we had a brother come up from Tombstone, Arizona, and did a talk about the history of his lodge and Wyatt Earp and, you know, the old West, which everyone loved, but there, it gave the esoteric brothers a break, <laughs> so to speak. Um, so yeah, it, it's just about variety and trying to offer as much as you can to broaden the horizon of everybody. And you need both, right? You, you need, you, you, uh, you can't kind of live on esoteric alone, which I think is the mistake sometimes Masonic lodges make. Um, esoteric can, can only get you so far. I think that there's a, a wealth of information and knowledge uh, to be gained when you start going outside the esoteric a little bit and thinking more about Freemasonry in, you know, in the context of the communities in which they find themselves and their connections beyond ritual and, and esotericism. Well, absolutely. Um, now, with that said, it's also opened the door to some incredible collaborations with brothers from across the country too. Um, so we've made almost like a networked family that gets together at each one of these. And they're all across, they're literally across the country because now there's a Masonicon in California, there's one in Chicago, um, Texas has one, there's an Esotericon, which is a, you know, same idea in Virginia. Um, so they're just popping up everywhere. So it's great. Yeah, and, you know, even as they grow, um, I can only imagine that the, the towns and the cities uh, in which these events are held, right? A Masonicon and a Sotericon. Um, you mentioned having, you know, 400 guests attend, people coming in from Manitoba. You know, I, and that's one thing I've been, I've been kind of harping on recently with the last couple of podcasts is, you know, a growing Masonic lodge, growing Masonic events can be or are of great benefit to the communities in which they're held even from an economic standpoint. I mean, having brothers come in, they need hotels, they need, they go to restaurants, you know, it can only benefit, especially some of these smaller towns, um, which, which they may find themselves in, right? It's, it's a benefit to the communities as well. Absolutely. Um, 
we'll typically partner with a hotel and we'll get a block of rooms and they'll sell them out. And especially like right now, when I, I went down there, you know, the parking lot's empty. So it's definitely helping the hotel, <laughs> you know, it's, Hey, I got 15 people that need two nights here. You know, can you help me? Absolutely. <laughs> so Yeah. And that's one of those things, right? It's, it seems like a small thing, but for the hotel and people who work there and, and for the restaurants that are gone to after the fact, right? They're, they're not, uh, they're not small things at all. It's just another example, uh, another way in which, you know, Freemasonry will improve the towns and cities in which it's located or, or visits or has events. Absolutely. Uh, in terms, <clears throat> in terms of, um, you, you mentioned like the collaborations, right? Freemason, these things popping up in in Texas, having an esotericon in Virginia. Um, how much collaboration is there, like ongoing? Like when when they first started, was there communication about you know asking advice on how to get it started, how to proceed, or are you still communicating with them and, and sharing ideas and, and you know possibilities for presentations or presenters, things like that? Absolutely. In the beginning, we were trying to get support from our Grand Lodge. And after the first year, we sat down as a, the committee that put the event on. And we're like, why, why bother? You know, like we have this great thing that we can do at a lodge level. Why worry about Grand Lodge levels? Um, and that's kind of been the basis of all of them. So we actually have chat groups, emails, I mean, you name it, we bounce everything off each other. Hey, I'm working on this presentation. Remember you talking about this, Do you, can you send me that? And so it's a, it's a literally a family, you know, the Friday night before I had 15 brothers that if I could just make a lodge with them, I would have been in heaven, <laughs> but they're from all over the country. So. That's, that brings up all that. That's a heck of a, a can of tuna you opened up there with the idea of, of Grand Lodge. Because I, I personally feel the same way. No offense to a Grand Lodge of Ontario. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing, um, I think sometimes the danger of trying to go through, quote unquote, a Grand Lodge is Grand Lodges can become very uh, Byzantine or you know, it, it can be hard to get something new through the Grand Lodge process. And it can be hard to bring new ideas forward to that level. Just, I mean, every institution, right, develops a certain level of, um, of I'm trying to think what, what the right word is, momentum over time, right? It's very hard sometimes to change that. Um, I think the flexibility of doing things at a lodge level or even a district level, it can be really beneficial because you have so much more flexibility and you can, you know, you can adapt so much more quickly when you're working on a smaller scale, as opposed to, you know, needing to work at the ground lodge scale where you have to bring in, you know, 50 or 60 people. So, yes. Um... The issue I see with Grand Lodge, and I'm on several committees on my Grand Lodge, is their perceived fear of loss of membership panics them into spending money and taking risk. 
if that makes sense, right? Membership's going down, income's going down. We can't risk on something we're not positive on, um, which is, you know, I don't agree with it, but I understand it. So for us, it's, we have something successful and whether they want to do it or not, they can't because it's ours. Yeah. No, yeah. no, I, I agree completely with that. That, that risk aversion, um, that's just, I have a hard time understanding where that's coming from. When you look at the, uh, to my knowledge, uh, I'm, I forget this, but I believe that this is correct. You know, the last year where we saw an increase in total numbers in North America was 1959. Um, and then I think the last year we saw an increase in Freemasonry as a percentage of the population was even before that. So I have a hard time understanding the argument for, for risk aversion. Like at a certain point, what do you have to lose? I mean, how low does membership need to go before you say it's worth taking a risk in this? Because even if the risk doesn't work out, what exactly have you lost at this point when you're already down such a significant number? Exactly. And, and when you really look at it, it's, they're, they're focused on like, if you have a cold, right? And you're coughing your head off, but you, the runny nose is really bothering you and you only focus on the runny nose instead of fixing the whole cold, right? So they're worried about like a symptom of a bigger problem where Freemasonry as a whole over promises and under delivers on what they preach, right? You go to a lodge, you're not getting everything that you were told that we're trying to join, you know, which is a bigger problem. I don't want to sidetrack you too far off Masonicon, but you know, we, we use Masonicon and as a value proposition. So we add this value to the fraternity and I'm a member of a lodge and now there's this event going on that I can go to and I don't need anybody's permission. I need five bucks to get in the door and that's it, you know, and that's our way of giving back to the fraternity. No, I, I agree. I, like I, I said, you know, talking to you before, I'm happy to kind of go off wherever the conversations go. Um, I, I think, and, and I think you're kind of touching on this, my concern over the last several years um and i think that this i think you muted <laughs> sorry all right we're back my uh my concern with the the craft is freemasonry is people it's treated at least however people talk about it the way it's treated is you know the term Freemason is treated as a membership-based qualification as opposed to a skills-based one. So, um, for example, have a membership to a music academy, but that doesn't make me a musician, right? And and the people want to call me a musician just because they have a card that says I belong to this academy or mixed martial arts, you know, I can be a member of a gym, but that doesn't make me a mixed martial artist. It's actually based on the amount of time and effort I put into the, those crafts before people will view me as such. But I think Freemason, that term, is primarily viewed as a membership-based. Once you get your first degree, you're a Freemason. Mm -hmm. And 
anything you do beyond that, people might give you an attaboy, but you know, you're no, you know, you're no more or less a Freemason than your first day of joining. And I think, you know, we need to go back to this idea of, of being a Freemason is a skill. And there are levels of, you know, quality of people involved in the craft. You know, if you have a card in your pocket, but you never attend anything, you know, I'm not sure how comfortable I'm calling that person a Freemason. Um, and I think, you know, esotericon, but it's what you're saying, I think, the, uh, the over-promising, under-delivering um, things, any value to the craft, that goes back to this idea of, you know, part of Freemasonry is, is putting in the work in the lodge, the craft, things like that, and going to things like esoteric. And I think that's one thing we don't deliver enough on in the craft. We don't tell guys when they're joining, like, there will be work and sacrifice involved in this. If you want to be a Freemason in the skill sense of the word, it's, you know, years of attending meetings, years of traveling, years of esotericons and, and Masonicons and work in that way. And I think, you know, a Masonicon is just another example of something people can do to become a more skilled Freemason. I would agree. Um, I would say one of the the biggest joys I've gotten out of it is <clears throat> we've had several newly raised brothers that literally said, this is what I joined Freemasonry for. And I would be gone if I didn't know it really existed. Right. And it's, it's not, it's like esotericism in the, the simplest form of just a master Mason and a new Mason having a conversation about life and Masonry, you know, that's, that's just the, the rawest form of it. And it, it mean it's so impactful and it sticks with brothers, you know, and that's, that's, that's what I don't think people do enough. You know, it's literally the rawest form of like communication, you know, just being there for each other on a different level. Yeah, communication is is such a key element of the craft of Freemasonry and having um, communication from older, you know, Masons, older mentors to the new guys coming in. Not even necessarily, it doesn't have to be an age thing necessarily, right? You can have a brother joining later in life um, and there may be a master Mason who's younger but has been in the craft longer who still has advice to give. It's that, it's that connection and communication amongst brothers that stuff like events like the Sonicon facilitate. Absolutely. I mean, they're just friendships, right? It starts off as a friendship. And it goes both ways. You'll learn something from the newest entered apprentice as you will from the oldest mason in your lodge. Um, and I mean, it, it. I don't know how it is in Canada, but the country is in such a flux right now because of a lack of communication and a fear of vulnerability of actually having a conversation with somebody when you need to talk to somebody, you know, and, you know, suicide rates are up there. The most top is like my age for men, you know, and just having somebody to communicate to, and we've seen it. I mean, you know, I've had brothers come to me that are just in a bad spot. And they literally just need to sit there and talk to me for an hour and me just to sit there and listen. I mean, 
we don't advertise that as this is what Freemasonry can give you. Yeah, I mean, I, I've talked about that. This idea of, you know, to what extent are, uh, and some would say this is unfair to the craft, but whatever, it's my podcast, you know, to, to what extent are the problems that we're seeing in the world today a reflection of the failures of, for example, Freemasonry um, to continue to grow? You know, would we be seeing these increased suicide rates, um, increased in depression and, and all these societal problems if Freemasonry had maintained its strength as it did in the 1920s and 1950s? Would we still be seeing these problems? And does Freemasonry have to kind of hold some blame for the current problems in the sense that, you know, if they had done more, done a better job at growing and not allowed themselves to become kind of in a weakened state, more men and families, because Freemasonry helps, and even women, if you look at Eastern Star, Rainbow Girls, more people would have positive outlets in which they could communicate and grow and communities would be more unified and the countries would be more unified because we would have these unifying civic institutions like Freemasonry, mm-hmm. you know, strengthening bonds as opposed to currently we're seeing bonds being ripped apart. Absolutely. I mean, we see it all the time, right? And it's it's almost like when all these, when the big bubble happened after World War II and even World War One, all those men were coming into a fraternity. They weren't focused on you know, maybe the charity portion as much or the educational side of it. It was just to continue their fraternal bonds and have somewhere to have an outlet. And then once they made the lodge what they wanted, they stifled any kind of evolution for over 50 years, right? So that's where I think we have the huge opportunity with the pandemic. I mean, it literally forced an evolution of a generation overnight, right? Now we have hybrid meetings, you have like internet in the lodges, so that there's such an opening to continue to progress. Yeah, and, and that progression that like you talked about, right? The, the increased use of virtual spaces and, and virtual meetings, right? It's what allows this to happen. It's what allowed me to attend Masonicon. Um, you know, I've had the chance to, to visit lodges in Seattle, uh, Texas, Virginia, all, all through kind of virtual events. Um, and then Masonica being the most recent example. So definitely I think that has been of, of benefit overall. Uh, as we return back to quote unquote normal and we start to see the return of in-person meetings, um, what do you think will happen to the virtual side of things? Do you think that, or yes, yeah, uh, what are your expectations for the virtual side of Freemasonry in a post, post-COVID world? So in my jurisdiction, um, the Grand Master has already said hybrid meetings are here to stay. Um, so you have two arguments, right? You have the argument that says it's going to let brothers be lazy and not go to lodge. All right. Then you have the other argument that we've had brothers that haven't been to lodge in 30, 40 years because they've moved away that can come every month which, I mean, that outweighs to me a lazy brother. And if you, 
give me the opportunity to go to Lodge and going to Lodge offers the value that it should for me to leave my family for the night, then there's no lazy brothers. They're going to be there, you know, but on the flip side, some of these lodges that were just boring and, you know, we've all heard about them, bad lodges. Like, why am I going to go leave my family for a night to go somewhere and not have a good time? And I think that's what's going to come out of it is you're going to drop that, the bottom dead weight out of some of these jurisdictions and it's going to just propel the rest up. Well, um, what would be, uh, going back to the idea of, of, of value, because I think there's a whole, that's a, a whole podcast in of itself. Like, what would you say would be a, um, a value, I was going to say, I'm trying to think of the right word, a value sufficient lodge versus, say, a value deficient lodge? Like, what would make, um, um, a lodge, a valuable, what will, will make a lodge meeting a valuable meeting for a brother to attend? I mean, I think that's kind of tough and based off the brother, but I mean, it needs to be, let me put it this way. When I was growing up, every Sunday, my whole family, you know, my, my father and his brother and his sister and their kids, we would all go to my grandparents and we'd have a Sunday dinner, like the, like you see in the old Norman Rockwell things. The excitement to all be together, like if we couldn't do it a Sunday, everything seemed off. And I think that that is the essence of it. It's, it's the fraternal bond conversations meaningful, you know, you can bang out a business meeting in 20 minutes. I mean, it's not a big deal. We do it all the time. So like the business meeting is the excuse for us to be together. And it, once that's the focus over arguing about anything, then all of a sudden you start to build the value. Now you, depending on your lodge, whether you have speakers, you eat before or after, um, you have a good meal. It can't be something, you know, crappy. You can't just go to the store and bring in cold sandwiches. Um, it's just, it's the whole package, right? To sit down and have dinner with a group of men that you love. That's the value. Is there uh, a, how do I put this? Because this is something I've been struggling with trying to explain, but I'm not very smart, so I don't explain it well. Um, a value Ex, like an external value proposition that we're potentially missing in the craft. Um, so I saw this, this actor uh, talking about like a particularly challenging movie that he was involved in. Um, and he said like, I guess the director was like a very tough director or whatever it is. Like it was a challenging environment. And he was thinking like he didn't want to be there, right? He wanted to, to quit. Uh, but he said, you know, at the end, he's, he stuck it out. And then he went to see the movie and he saw all of the people in the theater watching it and enjoying it and, you know, laughing and, you know, being happy in this environment. And he said, you know, that's why you, you do it. You, it's not about you. It's about creating something and being part of something that makes the world a better place. That's it's, it's 
doing something hard for other people. Um, and I do think sometimes that's one thing we've lost in the craft a little bit is there is an internal value in the sense that, you know, you, you go to lodge and you see people and you form connections and you're a better person for it in that regard, or your life is better. But I mean, I'm the first to admit, there are times when, you know, I don't want to go to lodge because I've had a long day at work or I'm tired or I feel like shit or whatever it is. Um, but you go because, or I go, because in my opinion, you know, the world is a better place with Freemasonry. It's doing something to make the world better. Um, and I do think sometimes that's a value that we've lost. We, we talk to brothers about the benefits they will experience. Uh, but I think sometimes we forget to say like, yeah, you might not enjoy every meeting or you might find, you know, the wife might nag at you or whatever it is, whatever it is that's keeping you for reasons for you to not go to lodge, you know, there's still a benefit to going because the world is made better by a strong crowd. I would agree. And I mean, a lot of that, we've been able to capture some of it. Um, I believe excitement builds excitement, right? So if four or five brothers go out somewhere and are joking around and laughing and having a good time, like people are drawn to that. Um, so we do a lot of like community events. They'll do river cleanups or trash cleanup type type of things. But when they people come to help and they see a group of Masons just laughing away and having a grand time, you, they're, they're drawn to us, you know, and we get a lot of membership that way because they're like, I want to be a part of that, you know? Yeah. It's, so it's, it's about, yeah, you know, being a part of something that, um, you can makes people better, but also being a part of something that makes the world better. And sometimes that means, you know, sacrificing some, especially now, because I think we live in such a, I'm not the first to comment on this, right? Such an immediate gratification time, you know, it's not always easy in the moment to see why, um, and you're your secretary as am I. So, you know, it's not always easy for a brother, perhaps in the moment to see why it's important to go through correspondence and bills and things like that. But um, when he could be watching the game or whatever it is, but uh, if you stick around long enough, you start to see the benefits in those things because eventually a correspondence comes across your desk from a brother who needs benevolence. And then it's a good thing you took time to pay those bills because now you need to have a system in place to get a check to the brother who needs benevolence. Like it's about, you know, it's, it doesn't always have to be fun right away to be of benefit and to be rewarding. Absolutely. I mean, it has to be worked for, right? And that comes like down that. to... So I like that quote. I'm sorry, I'm going I'm to use that in the... It has to be worked for. <laughs> so it's just, it's funny because we identified the instant gratification and to some extent you have to work with it, obviously, right? Like it can't be old school masonry where you send an application and in six months you hear back. It needs to be a more rapid process, but don't give away everything, you know? So with us, we do degree a degree cycle a year. You have to prove that you're worth us putting a degree on for you. Um, so it has to be a two-way street. You gotta work for it and we're gonna work for you to give you the best degree and mentorship that we can. Um, 
So it'll take a full year to become a Mason at my lodge. And it's, it's worked out. I mean, our retention is through the roof because by the time they're done, cause I go through groups. So if you apply in September, well, your first degree's in June, that's it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, and we've, and we've seen that. And then all the people that go with them, they become friends and friends don't leave friends. So they're building their tight bond as they're doing all their, you know, cipher work together and understanding the craft and the degrees and they travel together. And then by the time they're done, they're, they're golden. And that's a really good point to bring up and a good connection to make, right? The, you know, the reason that maybe it's a good thing to make people work for something is not just just to do it to do it, but it's because that hard work will instill uh, a greater love of the craft and of the brothers, and it will make them more invested because, and we all see this, right? Something given very easily doesn't tend to have the same, um, you know, it doesn't invoke the same feelings in, in anybody, a brother or otherwise, as something to which you have earned or feel like you've earned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just, they get to the point where they're not there for themselves as much as they're there for the other person, even though they're becoming better people, but they're there to be with this person. Um, you know, we had a brother come through and I think after his first or second degree, his wife had cancer and he had a, a group of brothers that were going through the degrees with him and always there for him, you know, and that's, that's impactful. You know, all of a sudden you join this fraternity later in life and there's been these men on the planet this whole time that could build that strong of a bond at that age. And I think that that's what we don't project out on is how valuable strong friendships can be. Absolutely. And, and the, um, you know, the idea of, of being there for other people, that's something I try to communicate in my lodge when I was worshipful master. And, and even now, like there can be this idea for example, in a degree, a brother, if a brother doesn't have a part to do in the degree, it can be easy for them to say, I don't have a part to do, so I'm, I'm not going to attend. But just being in the room when the brother gets a degree, right, it matters to that candidate. It matters to that brother because he sees the room, you know, hopefully filled with people. Uh, and he recognizes, you know, even though they didn't have any work to do, they still chose to be here to support me. And then that, you know, hopefully that brother then decides to attend other degrees to carry that forward. It is such a important part of, of the craft is the benefit it projects out to others in the lodge and others in the world. Absolutely. You know, it's, I agree. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, uh, we mentioned this at the start. Um, this is something I, I've only touched on very, um, not as much as I'd like, but it has come up a few times, so I'm interested in it. Uh, you mentioned uh, that you were in the Army. I've had a couple of guests, uh, Sergeant Ambrose, um, who um, were also, uh, or either are, were or still are active in the military. Um, any connections, connections there? Like, did your time in the armed services um, help prepare you at all for Freemasonry? Did you find that there are lessons that are applicable from one to the other? 
Yes and no. So I joined right out of high school. And then I joined Freemasonry 15 years after I was out of the military. So I joined the military too young to appreciate it at the time. So I didn't, I didn't take advantage of everything I could have during that time. But in a way, it, it did prepare me a bit for Freemasonry. And I use it more now. And I have, I don't know, I, I guess a, a keener eye. I can tell if somebody, you know, you can tell if somebody's been in it with you. Um, which we use, you know, and so I don't know how else to really answer that. So that's kind of a tough one. <laughs> no worries. No, it's a good answer. It's like everything, right? There's, there's never going to be 100% carryover between in, in any aspect of your life from one to the other, right? Um, it's always interesting when you look at, say, Freemasonry, right? There are times when Masonic um, teachings and, and a Masonic quote unquote way of life, you know, helps you at work, helps you in other aspects of your life. And there are times when the two seem completely separate. So it's always interesting trying to figure out, okay, from my past experiences or, or what can I take from this thing and apply it to this other thing and to help, right? And there are, even in Freemasonry, right, there are times when, when Freemasonry provides a lot of valuable teachings that can be applied to your life in general and other times when it can be more esoteric and internal. So I think it's always interesting to think about, and even from a, a, a craft perspective, right? We're not just bringing in blank slates when we're talking about candidates, right? We're not just bringing in somebody yeah. whoever we bring in we're also bringing in at a minimum 21 years or depending on your age requirements 19 years of experiences and family life and challenges and triumphs you know we're bringing in a whole person with a whole bunch of experiences and how do we um, integrate that into a lodge is always an interesting consideration absolutely i mean one of the questions that we ask is what can you do for our lodge you know and it's a very shocking question when people hear it you know as far as mason's here it's like why would you say that to them <laughs> why wouldn't i great question you know it's huge because it, it's got to be a two-way street because it, it's all about it, it really just comes down to the value you know the brother has to add value to your life right because so you're doing a minimal background check that we do anyway um and then three brothers sit down and do what they call an investigation and they, you know, ask him questions to make sure he's right fit. But the, you know, too many lodges just make it like, you know, a formality rather than really make it a conversation to understand, is this guy bringing a ton of baggage to lodge? You know, is this going to be the place where he brings his girlfriend behind his wife's back? You know, the, the, it sounds stupid, but this is the world we live in. And there's a lot to, a lot of people that just, skip over that part because it's a number to join the lodge. I'm trying to think how I would answer that question now. Back, I've, I've been a Mason for 13 years. How would I add value to the lodge? I suppose, I suppose I would have the benefit in the sense that I grew up very Masonically. Uh, my dad's a Mason, both my grandfathers. Um, it goes back a, a few generations. So I always had an idea of what Freemasonry is um and i kind of understood 
I kind of, I understood enough to know how I could fit in and how I would fit in. For a candidate who, say, or an applicant who, say, doesn't have any, any previous connection to Freemasonry or doesn't know very much about the craft, how do they answer that question? I'm just curious. How would they, I feel like I'd be worried they would just say something, you know, they wouldn't know enough to know how they could add value. Well, I mean, we get a variety of answers, right? So like tradesmen, you know, well, I'm an electrician. I, I, you know, we have an older building. So it's like, I'd love to help out, you know. Um, but I think there's a lot to that, you know. And we have accountants. We have, you know, again, tradesmen, accountants, lawyers. And that's a good example of, I like that because that's a good example of not letting the esoteric or the, you know, the woo-woo, um, you know, go too far, right? Like, it's it's amazing how often brothers can get so wrapped up in a, the esoteric, they forget, you know, yeah, it's, it's esoteric is good, don't get me wrong, but you're still meeting in a physical structure that requires electricians and carpenters and needs to be cleaned and need, has bills to pay, yep. like, you know, that, that emphasizing that there is a practical component that needs to be considered and to which anybody can add value. Anybody can pick up a mop in a, a bucket and clean up a, a lodge room or, you know, electricians can, can provide assistance in that regard. So that's, a, that's an interesting way to remind brethren of the, the work that goes into the craft. And it also allows you to set an understanding up front, right? So here's your expectations right out of the gate. There's no joking around about one night a month, none of that stuff. It's like, listen, we, this is our building. We're responsible for it. You know, there's going to be multiple nights. You can do this, this, and this, you know, typically, you know, if we do a work cleanup, then we'll have like a, you know, pizza or a cookout after. So we, you mix the fun with the work, but we got to work to maintain our standards. And I think that once everybody does that, they build ownership in what they're doing. So if you're an electrician and you just rewired a room or put some new fans in or something, be like, yeah, I did that. I'm a piece of this history now. And that, that carries weight. I agree. I could not agree more. And I like the fact you brought up the, the one night a month nonsense. Why would any, I never understood, why would any, any lot be like, it's only one night a month? Why would you start with your expectations so low that you're, yeah, what do you expect a, a candidate to do if you at the start tell him it's only one night a month? Like, of course, he's going to show up only one night a month. If you're lucky, that's what you'll get. If that's where you're starting, you know, oh, start with, start with 20 meetings uh, a month. And then if he goes down to five, you're still better off than a month. <laughs> absolutely you know and our members you know once you're masturbation you get a key to the building you can come and go you know we have like yeah you know, it's it's a large building so we have a game room pool tables you know tv well like projector screen um we have a cigar lounge so we have there's value within our building um that our members get which is great you know but again you're responsible for taking care of it too Tell us a bit about your building. Um, I often like to talk about and promote my building, the Windsor Masonic Temple, especially because this year is its 100th anniversary. Um, so tell me a bit about your, your Masonic Temple. Um, <clears throat> it was built in 1929. Uh, has a lot of firsts in the county, like sprinkler systems. And we have an old gate elevator, which is, you know, cool. <laughs> 
Uh, it's five stories. In our heyday, we had a, uh, a gold jewelry manufacturer across the street, which accounted for almost 500 of our members. Um, since moved away to cheaper places and then the building dipped down. And then in 2012, 2013, we were almost lost our charter because we just were almost defunct. Um, so then we kind of had like a, let's have a conversation. Are we gonna merge in? What are we gonna do? Give up Freemasonry? We decided to fight for it. And started working on the building and turning it around and you know, again, as things improved, people started to join and, and the membership started to significantly grow. Um, so we can fit right around 200, 250 in our lodge room. We have a lodge room upstairs, which we took apart where Masonicon was um, filmed from. Um, it's an older lodge room that was built for Rainbow and Malay, but now we use it as our banquet hall. So we can do uh, about 100 people at a festive board comfortably, uh, more if we want. But so it's really nice. You know, a lot of it still needs a lot of work. You know, the, everything we do in the building, the brothers do, unless it's above our pay grade, so to speak. You know, so we had a couple of broken pipes that we had to actually pay some of the effects. But um, we try to keep it that way where if we're going to change anything, it's us doing the work because now there's a lot more ownership and there's pride. Um, so we built a museum on the first floor, which is pretty nice. It's kind of hard to describe. I mean, it's like, you know, a lot of years trying to cram it into a, <laughs> a couple sentences, but. Well, if I ever find myself in Massachusetts, I'd love to check it out. Um, you know, my favorite thing to do when I'm traveling is uh, uh, getting a chance to visit the local Masonic Lodge or temple, whether it's Kind of a grand building such as yours or you know even if it's just a rented space atop the general store it's always great to see and it sounds like your building and your temple would be a great one to visit yeah i mean people are always welcome you know hopefully soon i got my my first shot so hopefully that means traveling can can resume soon enough i can cross the border again yeah yeah i mean it's it's bogged down a lot of us but it's uh the light at the end of the tunnel is there, so. Absolutely. So speaking of light at the end of the tunnel or, or looking towards the future, um, Masonicon 2020, I guess two it will be. Um, have you started planning anything on that? If brothers are interested either in attending next year's event or if they are interested in trying to start one of them at their own jurisdiction, where do they contact all that good stuff? So yeah, um, so I've been running the Masonicons as like the head of the committee, so to speak. And I mean, it, it gets tiring and I kind of want to do some different things. So it's actually going to be moving to New Hampshire next year under Ryan Flynn. Um, I don't know if you've seen him, he's an artist, a Masonic artist, and we've become good friends over the years. So he's going to be taking it to Manchester, New Hampshire, which will give it even more space and we have a, a chat group with the runners of other Masonicons that are actually sitting down now and, and trying to work out ideas and, and what we could do different up there. So 
it'll be nice to be a, a spectator. I, I'll still be helping out, but I won't be running it. <laughs> so no worries. So it's uh, it'll be in New Hampshire next year. Yep. And the uh, brother's name again, who's going to be organizing it? Uh, Ryan Flynn. So everybody, if you're interested, uh, I would strongly recommend um, either you know attending in person or virtually or however it is. Um, pay attention for you know Masonicon 2022 in New Hampshire, Brother Ryan Flynn, because I had a great time, uh, and I was just attending you know via my my cell phone. So I can only imagine the benefits of attending in person. Uh, if for no other reason than to see, you know, New Hampshire um, and to meet all these people in person and get to connect with them uh, and network with them face to face. But yeah, you um, yourself, Ezekiel Bates Lodge, did a terrific job uh, with the event. Have you got any other feedback from from brothers? What was the general? Uh, I see. What was the general consensus about the event? I think well. I mean, at least the people there all had a great time. So what you didn't see is after the cameras went off, we went on to have a like five hour festive board. <laughs> so it was a great night to say the least. It's uh, yeah, it's hard to do festive boards uh, virtually. Although I guess that can give me a chance to give a plug. Um, Harmony Lodge, because in Ontario, we are still prohibited from in-person Masonic uh, meetings. Um, but we are, um, going to be having in June, a virtual beer and cheese tasting night. No, that sounds weird, but what that means is, um, we're, we're partnering up with a local brewery and they're going to be delivering, or they're going to be, you can place an order and pick up a kit containing, uh, a selection of local beers and meats and cheeses, and then, at our virtual meeting, uh, we're going to have somebody there talking about the, the the beers and the brewing process and how they pair the different meats and cheeses. So anybody in the Windsor area, uh, certainly Harmony Lodge is welcome to take part. And also guests from out of town can bring their own beers. And they're more than welcome to, to join us virtually and learn about how beer is brewed in Windsor, Ontario. So yeah, there's ways around it. But yeah, I'm sure the five hour virtual, I'm sure the five hour real festive board of Masonicon 2020 was quite fun. Yeah, it was the first one for quite some time. <laughs> so it was very happy and very excited to get back to it. And just Yeah, that's and it's great to see, you know, it's I suppose because I'm not, you know, always such a great person. There is a there is a tinge of jealousy when I see like Texas and, and Florida and Mass, you know, all these places opening up again and having full Masonic meetings. But most of me, I, you know, I'm happy to see that because I know that that means that, you know, down the line, Ontario, once we get our vaccination rates to the same levels as these places and have as many vaccines, we'll be there too. So it's always a good thing to see jurisdictions opening up because it just, you know, reinforces that things will return to normal sooner or later. Absolutely. About time. <laughs> That's right. And then, you know, it's, I always... I always, when I worked at the, the jail, I used to do this thing with, because uh, new people coming to jail would always be freaking out, right? It's, it's, for a lot of different reasons. But the biggest thing is it's very hard sometimes for people to look. Um, you know, it can feel like forever if they're going to a new and experience your 
an unpleasant experience. It feel like it's last forever. So I do this thing where I draw like a pie chart. And if they were say, say, you know, the average life expectancy is like whatever, 73 years. Mm -hmm. Right. And I say of 73 years, you know, one year or whatever is spent in here. So that's, you know, a tiny, tiny slice of this giant pie chart, right? 20 years from now, what we, you know, you're not going to be thinking about this. You're going to be thinking about your kids or this or that. I think the same applies to masonry, right? Like if you do a pie chart of the whole crap, both from when it started to, it should go on forever, you know, two years uh, in Ontario lockdowns is nothing compared to the entire, the entire crap kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, and again, it's, you got to look at the positives, right? Forced technology. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, and, you know, it, that's such a, that's, I agree completely. Despite the negatives, there has been some positives and those positives will, will move on past. Mm-hmm. It's right. We're, we're still, like you said, we're still going to have integrated meetings, virtual and in person. And that will create, you know, a incentive for value added meetings because now you're forcing guys, if you want your guys to show up in person, you would better provide some, some value or you better either be able to provide value to them or show them the value to the world of the craft and of attending. Absolutely. Uh, and just in general, in, in Massachusetts, um, you know, looking ahead, what things you're excited about, things coming up, things in Ezekiel Bates Lodge, just are you just happy to be getting back to normal or anything special coming up on the horizon? We are. Um, so... Our Grand Lodge is 11 years away from its 300th anniversary. So they've already begun preparation for that. Um, And then the country is 2026 is 250 years for the United States. So with us being in Boston, like everything kind of comes from there, (laughs) you know, if you will. So there's a lot of planning to integrate Freemasonry with the actual revolutionary stories as they come out. So we're putting stuff together now and we're going to try to be as in the fold of everything as we can. So, you know, but that's at a grand lodge level. Still though, I'm sure that will, that will trickle down. Right. Um, as Ezekiel Bates, I know it's a little ways away, but um, Ezekiel Bates thought it all about, you know, any events on the local level to celebrate the, the 250th or any of these anniversaries or does a lot of that stuff come from Grand Lodge and then it's just implemented at the, the local level? Um, it's kind of both. So it depends on where the things are going to happen. So Attebro, they did their 300, they're established in 1694. So we're kind of like, off kilter with all that stuff but um so for the 250th nothing's come out from the city but we do we do communicate with city hall and you know they know we're here type of thing we've built a great relationship with the veterans agents and city hall so any kind of veteran based anything where we're usually involved in some aspect which has been really good so awesome um last yeah so just last thing, uh, if a brother happens to be 
down in your neck of the woods and is interested in meeting up with Ezekiel Bates or attending a meeting or just learning more about Freemasonry in your area. Uh, any content information, like the, how do they get in touch with the Masonic Temple or the Lodge? Yeah, so we have a website. It's eb1870.org. So that and I'll throw that in the uh, description to the down. This, look down the description to the video. There'll be that. Uh, I'll include that link. But yeah, um, you know, virtual tour of the lodge and some of our members and whatnot. And still reworking it, so it's not perfect. But you know, websites are always a work in progress. As long as it's better than it was before, right? That's the key. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, okay, so check out that website. Um, I also want to mention, because I got this in the mail today, and I want to give a thanks to John uh, Bizak, PhD. He sent me this book, Sins of Our Masonic Fathers, The Lost Strength of Fewness in American Freemasonry. And he sent me a book on island Freemasonry, uh, which I look forward to reading. I want to throw it in there. Thank you so much, uh, Brother John Bizak, for that. It's really cool. Have you read these? I haven't yet, but I heard they're really good. I have not. I have not. Well, but, yeah. I hope to get uh, Brother Bizak on the podcast. And when I do, um, the link and there'll be a link for it, obviously. But yeah, it was really cool to receive those today. And it was great talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time, both taking the time to put on and organize. Uh, Masonicon, which was terrific, for being here on the podcast. And also, as a fellow secretary, my condolences to you. <laughs> Thank you for all the work that you do uh, uh, for that as well, because it's a lot of administrative stuff and paperwork, and fighting with treasurers and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I appreciate the time and the conversation. It was uh, fun. Hi, love. Hey, mom. How you oh, doing? Fine. How are you? Not bad. That's good. Um, yeah, okay. I remember Harry's uh, grandpa and grandma, uh, mom and dad were, uh, Harry's mom and dad were here visiting uh, from Halt Whistle and we took them to uh, Dairy Queen and uh, just on uh, Henderson Highway there. And uh, he was just, a, I forget what he ordered, whether it was a sundae uh, or a banana split or whatever. But uh, there was three of us there. Dad didn't go because he was working. But he ordered this, I forget, banana split or a sundae. And it was so big, his eyes just about popped out of his head. <laughs> he couldn't get over the size of this, uh, this sundae. So, uh, but uh, it was nice having them here. I wish uh, uh, they would have been able to come, come uh another time, but well, Harry, uh, uh, Harry's mom came one other time after Harry's dad had passed away. She came in winter, I think, and that's when dad was having problems with his stomach and he needed uh, blood transfusions and that. And you were, of course, were just a baby. And uh, so uh, she was here the only, that time, and that was it. But then as you know, as you remember, we went back a few times, so it was really nice. Uh, going back especially for dad and whatever so uh, that was uh, that was good so i still i remember one of my earliest memories is it was winter when grandma lily came because i remember i was at the waiting for her with you and dad at the uh, airport i remember having my snowsuit on and my crutches and my artificial legs at the time and i remember she brought me a uh, uh book about thomas the train when she got oh. off the, the plane i remember that so 
that's right. And one Christmas, she was here one Christmas. That's right. She was here at Christmas time. Was that in winter? She, yeah, of course, Christmas is in winter. But, and I uh, remember her uh, bringing you a, um, it was a rocking horse, and I forget what was on top, the rocking horse, and, uh, but she couldn't get over our winters. She, I thought she would freeze, so I said, bring warm clothes because it gets pretty cold, like, not like England, and uh, so, but she didn't mind it, but uh, um, you remember Lynette from Australia? And when she was here, we had a fantastic, I forget, it was in, of course, in the winter, and we had this fantastic storm, and she couldn't get over the amount of snow that had fallen. She was just amazed. So uh, our winters can be quite a thing for uh, people to see. So uh, Speaking of Australia, you always worry about me and stuff and make sure I'm okay, but I heard a rumor that you once spent a year just gallivanting around Australia with, with no supervision or anything like that. So how come you can do that, but I get in trouble? Well, <laughs> um, well uh, being a mom is different. So, uh, but no, it was good. But um, I'm glad you're doing okay and take care of yourself and uh, talk to you again next week then. And thanks for the interview. All right. Talk to you later. Okay, bye, love. Love you. Bye, love. How's it going? Good, 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 good. So we talked about uh, Papa a little bit, but is there anything you want to add about the type of uh, man he was and dad he was and all that type of stuff? He was a wonderful dad and a wonderful father. And he did a lot for us. They didn't have that much money, but what they gave us was, uh, uh, was good. And uh, he loved going on trips, but he always wanted to get home. If we were close to home, I don't think he wanted to spend money on a camping spot or whatever. So we would arrive back at something like two or 12 o'clock midnight. But uh, no, he, he was, they were both very good and they did, uh, we had good times. And uh, as I said, they didn't have that uh, much money, but what they gave us was love and that's all that counts. Isn't it true? I, I once heard a story that uh, since I, I told about dad getting in trouble, I should probably talk about you getting in trouble. Didn't you? Uh, I used to stay up late and sneak out and try to watch TV shows I wasn't supposed to late at night. Didn't you once get in trouble for, from Papa for you and Aunt Bev for watching Outer Limits or some scary show you weren't supposed to? Yeah, we were watching this. Uh, like, uh, was it Outer Limits? Uh, it was a scary show anyway. And I remember, uh, was it that late at night, though? It was maybe after supper or something like that. I can't really remember, but it wasn't late at night. And I remember Dad was there, and we screamed, turn that bloody TV off, he say. <laughs> he wasn't, uh, you shouldn't watch shows like that. But uh, no, he was, uh, they were all very nice, and uh, we had some wonderful times. And as I said, we didn't have that much money, but what they gave us, was love and that was the more important thing. And uh, they had good times. I remember uh, with uh, dad talking about the old times with his mom and dad and getting together at Christmas and whatever. And we always had Christmas uh, parties and uh, everybody would take turns having Christmas dinner and whatever. And then um, uh, uh, mom's mom and dad, uh, were wonderful people. I really miss grandma. I loved her dearly and uh, she was a great grandmother and Bev and I uh, used to go over there and stay uh, weekends with them and uh, 
we had a lovely time. Uh, grandma was the type of person that she would give you anything and they didn't have much money either, but she was a lovely person. So, and then grandpa unfortunately died at quite a young age of uh, pancreatic cancer, but uh, they were all, uh, yeah, no, it was good. It was good. I should probably ask this because you, you deserve a medal here. You've got, you know, me, who's not easy to deal with, who's a Mason, and then you're married to a Mason, and then your dad was a Mason, and your father-in-law was a Mason. You know, you're a poor woman. Your whole family is, are Masons. So what memories do you have of Masonic events, of ladies' nights, or going out with, you know, the wives, or, or stuff like that? Do you have any fond memories of Masonry? Yeah, it was very nice. Like Dad's Ladies' Night, going out to Ladies' Night was uh, a wonderful event. And uh, it's too bad in years to come that they didn't have the, I don't know whether people didn't want, didn't have the numbers to have it, people, like weren't buying tickets. But it was uh, a lovely. And I remember uh, my, like my mom's mom and dad, my grandfather wanted to, to be a Mason. But uh, my grandmother was very uh, much against it because she thought it was too secretive. So he never uh, became a Mason. But um, we did have uh, like uncles and uh, whatever that were uh, in, in Masons. And then uh, some aunts of mine uh, from the country uh, were an Eastern star as well. They had a, had a chapter, I think that's what you call it, chapter, right? in uh, the country so they were they were involved and uh so uh but no it was good and then like you mentioned christmas parties they had and uh whatever it was uh and and functions like after the lodge uh maybe it was a maybe the last season of the meet of their meetings and what last uh, month of their meetings and they would have where the wives could come and and whatever and uh um, meet each other and uh, so it was all uh, it was all uh, very nice and they did have other things that you volunteered up with I remember uh, uh, one of dad's brothers had a he was grandmaster was he and they did a thing at Salome Mission where you went and helped uh, with the food and stuff like that like serving it and things like that so they had some good um, uh, good support for the community that they did and like uh, with Dad's Lodge and I'm sure other lodges they would give um, money to uh, the hospital here in, Trans in Transcona and uh, donate uh, money so for uh, for certain things that they needed a, uh, something or needed a, a new machine or whatever they would support that so the work that Masons do is uh, is fantastic for the community and helping out the community. Is it, uh, is it true, because I've heard a rumor that in your much, much younger days, at one of these ladies' nights, you found yourself dancing on a table? Uh, <laughs> a rumor I might have heard? It was a, it was a true rumor, rumor, but we had lots of fun. And uh, as I said, that uh, it was nice. And, and, and not only that, the camaraderie of uh, the Masons and and I like that to have ladies night with another lodge. So that was that was really nice because the camaraderie among Masons and their wives is very, very special. 
and it's so nice to have to have that and uh, like uh, I am I do uh, hear uh, phone up people that have lost their husbands and who were Masons and I would phone them up and see how they're doing and might take uh, one uh, lady out for uh, one for lunch for lunch or whatever so uh, and they very much appreciate that and uh, I love doing it so uh, it's uh, and as I said uh, it's, it's a, as I said a wonderful organization and uh, people are so good to one another and uh, they do a lot so well thank you so much for I know you said only one time and I got you back a second time <laughs> thank you so much I right, love you love you All right, it is Monday, May 3rd. I'm here in line at the pop-up clinic to get the first, uh, my first vaccine dosage. I know a lot of other Masons have already got theirs, older Masons, which is great. I'm here to get mine. And yeah, happy and thankful that they're having this and thankful to all the uh, nurses and healthcare workers who are making it possible. And it's a rainy day, I got a couple hour wait, but I met some cool people and I don't mind at all. And I'll let you know how it goes when I get out. All right, and I got the injection, and aside from waiting in very cold and, uh, well, not very cold, but rainy and kind of wet and gross weather for a couple hours, uh, the line moved quickly. Everybody in the vaccine clinic was super professional, all of the healthcare workers, and I was able to, yeah, uh, it went very smoothly. I met a lot of cool people waiting in line. The health unit staff was terrific. Obviously, and I think this is true for everybody, you know, I'd rather, and everybody would rather that the need for the vaccine not exist. But since it does exist, I am grateful for all of the um, scientists and researchers and doctors who, you know, dedicated years of their lives in getting the training and expertise so that when coronavirus, uh, so when this pandemic started, they were able to immediately go to work on finding a vaccine. And then obviously I'm grateful for all of the doctors, nurses and professionals. Um, you know, even the staff at the vaccine clinic who were keeping everything sanitized and cleaning up, go um, cleaning the areas, uh, which often are overlooked. You know, I'm grateful for all of them also. Uh, and yeah, uh, as... I know everybody has their own opinions, I guess. Uh, but one thing I would say is, as a Mason, and I'm speaking only for myself, um, not on behalf of Grand Lodge or anything like that, but as a Mason, um, I think it's important that we, you know, we be seen to be supportive and supporting of whether it be a vaccine or vaccinations or public health measures, wearing a mask, obviously that doesn't mean there aren't times when we won't disagree with a particular policy um, or with vaccine rollouts or, or any of that stuff. Like there's obviously going to be areas of disagreement, but I think overall the important thing is that we do our best to work together and work with officials to try to get this pandemic under control and back to normal as soon as possible. And if that means, 
you know, that that should mean getting a vaccine and supporting the vaccines and supporting the people giving the vaccines and wearing your mask. And, you know, there are also ways, obviously, while doing all of this to support your local small businesses. I had a whole interview about that recently. Um, you know, take out from restaurants, uh, organize virtual beer or wine or cheese tasting events where you, you know, uh, have food or wine or beer or something delivered to guests and you all meet on Zoom and have a tasting of the beer and have a tasting of the products. There are no end of things that can be done. Um, yeah, just like I said, it's really been, been bothering me. So I thought I'd throw it on this video. Bother me that, you know, instead of being suspicious or questioning or angry at the situation, I think we as Masons or myself as a Mason, you know, we should be grateful um, for the work that's been done and the grateful that we live in a time of, of when we have this science and the ability to create these vaccines so quickly and to distribute these vaccines so quickly and to deliver to, you know, arms, in this case, my arm, vaccines so quickly. And we live in that, a time when that's possible. And we should be celebrating that. And we should be, um, you know, doing what we can to support measures to protect ourselves and, more importantly, to protect each other. And also, you know, finding a way to do that doesn't mean you can't also find a way to support your local businesses, order from them more, take more local services, things like that. So anyways, that's a long way of saying I got my vaccine. I was happy to get my vaccine. And thank you to all of the uh, all of the workers at Windsor Health and everybody who, who was involved in this pop-up clinic and has been involved in vaccinations over the past several months. And even right from the start, all the people who were involved in organizing and um, just were involved in creating these vaccines um, and put all the work in it. I'm sure many sleepless nights. And with that, although I do feel fine, I got to admit my arm is a little bit sore, so I'm getting tired of holding up this uh, this phone. So thank you so much.